10. Piece of stick, which the animal, after passing along the alley, disturbs, so bringing down the piece of wood onto the top of it, this trap also has no bait. Large snakes are caught in nooses attached to the ground or hanging from trees. Birds of all kinds, except cassowaries, are killed with bows and arrows. There is also a method of killing certain kinds of birds of paradise which dance on branches of trees, and certain other kinds and bower birds, which dance on the ground, by means of nooses as above described, these being tied to the branch of the tree, or, in the case of ground nooses, tied to a stick or something in the ground, the natives know the spots where the birds are dancing, and place the noose traps there, another method of killing birds is adopted on narrow forest covered ridges of the mountains, an open space or passage about two or three yards wide is cut in the bush, across the ridge, and across this passage are suspended three parallel nets, the inner or central one being of a close and impassable mesh, and the two outer ones having a mesh so far open that a bird striking against it can get through, these nets are made of very fine material, and so are not easily seen, especially as they are more or less in shade from the trees on each side of the passage, a bird flying from the valley on either side towards the ridge is attracted by this open passage, and flies into and along it, it strikes against one of the more open outer nets, and gets through it, but is confused and bewildered, and so is easily stopped by the central close mesh net, where it is shot with bow and arrow, fishing, fishing is carried on by the Mafula people by means of weirs placed across streams, the weirs having open sluices with intercepting nets, and smaller nets being used to catch such fish as escape the big ones, they do not fish with spears, hooks, or bows and arrows, or with fishing lines, as is done in Mako, and even their weir and net systems are different from the Mako ones, fishing with them is more or less communistic, as it is generally engaged in by parties of 10 or 20 men women do not fish, and sometimes nearly all the men of a village, or even of a community, join in a fishing expedition, and everyone in the village or community shares more or less in the spoil. The fishing season is towards the end of the dry season, say in October or November, when work in the gardens is over, and the rivers are low. I cannot give the names of the fishes caught, but was told that the chief ones are large full-bodied carp-like fish and eels. The large weir nets are simply ordinary frameless nets about 3 to 5 yards long, and 1 yard wide, with a fairly small mesh. The smaller ones are hand nets, made in two forms, one of these is made of ordinary fine netting, and is bag-shaped, being strung on a round looped end of cane, of which the other end is the handle, the net being about the size of a good-sized butterfly net, the other form is also framed on a looped cane, but the loop in this case is larger and more oval in shape, and the netting is made of the web of a large spider, to make it they take the already looped cane to where there are a number of such webs, and twist the looped end round and round among the webs, until there is stretched across the loop a double or treble or quadruple layer of web, which, though flat when made, is elastic, and when used becomes under pressure more or less bag-shaped. The fishers first make a weir of upright sticks placed close together among the stones in the riverbed, the weir stretching across the greater part of, or sometimes only halfway across, the river. The side of the river left open and indent is filled up with stones to such a height that the water flowing over it is shallow and the fish do not escape across it, in the middle of the weir they leave an open space or sluice, behind which they fasten the big net, plate 76 shows a weir on the Adala river, a portion of the open sluice being seen on the left, after forming the weir, but before fixing the net, the fishers all join in a sort of prayer or invocation to the river, for example, 
on the Adala River they will say, Adala, give us plenty of fish, that we may eat well. This is the only ceremony in connection with the fishing, and there is no food or other taboo associated with it, but here again charms are often relied upon. The big net catches most of the fish which are carried down by the rush of water through the opening in the weir, but a group of fishermen stand round it with their hand nets, with which they catch any fish that leak out of the big net, and would otherwise escape. The ordinary hand nets being usually used for larger fish, and the cobweb ones for the smaller fish. They often have two or three of these weirs in the same stream, at some little distance from each other. A fishing party will often stay and live for some days at the place where they are fishing, and eat the fish each day as they catch it, so that what they bring home for the village or community may only be the result of the last day's sport. But the women will sometimes come to the fishers, bring them food, and take some fish back to the village or community. Each community has waters which it regards as being its own, but disputes as to this apparently do not arise. A solitary individual sometimes goes off to catch fish with one of the hand nets above described or with his hands, and eats or keeps what he catches, but this is unusual. Agriculture. Agriculture is never communistic, being entirely unindividual or family matter. Men and households and families having their own gardens and plantations. The trees and plants chiefly cultivated are those already mentioned as being used for food. The clearing of the ground is done by men, and is begun about the end of June. The trees and their branches are used for fencing, the fencing being also done by men. The clearing away of the undergrowth is done by women, who pile it in small heaps, which are spread over the cleared space, being so close together that they almost touch one another. When these have got quite dry, which may be in a few days, or not for some time, they burn them, and the ashes add fertility to the soil. There is no general digging up of the ground, as distinguished from the digging of holes for individual plants. The clearing of the trees is done with stone adzes, or in difficult cases by fire, but some of the people now have European axes, of which some have been acquired from white men, and some from plain and coast natives. In clearing for planting yam and plants of the yam type they leave the upright stems of some of the trees and shrubby undergrowth for the yams, etc. to trail over. Cultivation of some of the more usual plants is done as follows. Sweet potatoes and vegetables of similar type are planted by the women in August and September. They make little holes in the ground about two feet apart, and in them plant the potatoes, the roots used being the young Sarmentos runners, which they cut off from the parent plants the latter being nearly cut down to the ground, and the old tubers being left in it. These runners are left to grow, and in about three or four months the young potatoes are ready for eating, and afterwards there will be a continuous supply from the runners. The digging up of the day-to-day supply of potatoes is done by the women. The work in this, and in all other digging, being done with small want sticks, roughly made and not preserved, though now they sometimes have European knives. These knives and axes being the two European implements which they use in agriculture, if they possess them. Yams and similar vegetables are planted by men in August and September, near to the young tree stems up which they are to trail, and at distances apart of two or three yards, in this case. However, there are two plantings. In the first instance the yam tubers are planted in pretty deep holes, the tubers being long. The yams then grow, and twine over the tree stems, and spread. After about ten months the men dig up the tubers, which in the meantime have grown larger, and cut away from them all the trailing green growth, and then hang the tubers up in the houses and a moan, to let the new growing points sprout. 
Then in about another two months the men replant the smaller tubers, while the larger ones are retained for food. There are two curious mafula practices in connection with yam planting. First, before planting each tuber they wrap round it an ornamental leaf, such as a croton, which they call the sweetheart of the yam. Against this leaf they press a piece of limestone. They then plant the tuber with its sweetheart leaf around it and the piece of limestone pressing against its side, and fill in the soil, but as they do the latter they withdraw the piece of limestone, which they use successively for other yams, and, indeed, keep in their houses for use year by year. In the villages near the Mafulu Mission Station the limestone used is generally a piece of stalactite, which they get from the limestone caves in the mountains. The belief is that by planting in this way the yams will grow stronger and better. Secondly, there is a little small leaf plant of a spreading nature, only a few inches high, which grows wild in the mountains, but which is also cultivated, and a patch of which they always plant in a yam plantation. This plant they also call the sweetheart of the yam, and they believe that its presence is beneficial to the plantation. Yams are ready for supplying food eight or ten months after planting. They are not, like the potatoes, dug up from day to day, as they can be stored. The usual period of digging and storing is about June or July, and this digging is done by both men and women, the former dealing with the larger yams, which are difficult to get up, and the latter with the smaller ones. The yam is apparently regarded by the Mafula people as a vegetable possessing an importance which one is tempted to think may have a more or less superstitious origin witness the facts that only men may plant it and that it is the only vegetable in the planting of which superstitious methods are employed and the special methods and ceremonies adopted in the hanging of the yams at the big feast. But I fancy this idea as to the yam is not confined to the Mafulu, and indeed Chalmers tells us of a modu superstition which attributes to it a human origin, and a perusal of the chapter on sacrifices in Drive Codrington's book, The Melanesians, leaves the impression on one's mind that among these people the yam is the one vegetable which is specially used for sacrificial purposes. Taro and similar vegetables are planted by women in August and September among the yams, at distances of two or three feet apart. For this purpose they take the young secondary growths which crop up round the main central plants during the year. They are ready for eating in say, May or June of the following year. They are dug up by women from day to day as wanted, as they, like the sweet potato, cannot be kept, as the yams are, after being taken up, their island however. A method when the taro is ripe and needs digging up, but is not then required for eating, of making a large hole in the ground, filling it with grass, digging up the taro, putting it on the grass in the hole, covering and surrounding it with more grass, and then filling up with soil, and so preserving the taro for future use by a sort of ensilage system. I was told that this was not done on the plains. Bananas are planted by men, this being done every year, and off and on all through the year generally in old potato gardens, in this case they take the young offshoots, which break out near the bases of the stems, the closeness of planting varies considerably, the fruit is gathered all through the year by men, a banana will generally begin to bear fruit about 12 months after planting, though some sorts of banana take as long as 2 years, sugar cane is planted by men off and on during the whole year, generally in old potato gardens, the growing points at the tops of the canes being put into the ground at distances of five or six feet apart. Each plant produces a number of canes, and these begin to be edible after six or eight months. They are then cut for eating by both men and women. As regards both banana and sugar cane, the people, after planting them in the potato gardens, 
allow the potatoes to still go on growing and spreading, but these potatoes are merely used for the pigs, the people only eating those grown in their open patches, beans of a big coarse growing sort, with large pods from 8 to 18 inches long, are planted by women about September by the garden fences of the potato and yam gardens, and allowed to creep up these fences, they furnish edible fruit in about 3 or 4 months from the time of planting, and are then gathered by the women, only the inside seeds are eaten at the pod, and even these are so hard that 24 hours boiling does not soften them indeed, they are usually roasted, pandanus trees are grown in the bush and not in the gardens, the in which is a large form plate 80, is always grown at a height of not less than 5.000 feet, but there is a smaller one which is grown by a river or stream, the millage is always grown in the valleys near brooks and rivers, as regards the gardens generally, they may be roughly divided into sweet potato gardens and yam gardens, in the former are also grown bananas, sugar cane, beans, pumpkin, cucumber and maize, and in the latter taro and beans, and the reed plant with the asparagus flavor to which I have already referred, the general tending of the bananas and sugar canes, and to a certain extent the yams, is done by men, but in other respects the garden produce is looked after by women, who also attend to the weeding and keeping of the gardens clean, the men looking after the fences, having planted a certain crop in a garden, they let it go on until it is exhausted, the period for this being different for different crops, but afterwards they never again plant the same crop in the same garden, when a crop is exhausted, they may possibly use the same garden for some other purpose, but as a rule they do not do so, except as regards the use of old potato gardens for banana and sugar cane, when fresh gardens are wanted, fresh portions of bush are cleared, and the old deserted gardens are quickly recovered by nature with fresh bush, the growth of vegetation being very rapid, most of the gardens are bush gardens, and, Though these may sometimes be closed to the village, you do not find a regular system of gardens within the village clearing, as you do in the Mako district, the situations of the villages being indeed hardly adapted for this. Chapter XII Bark Cloth Making, Netting and Art, Bark Cloth Making and Netting. I put the two processes of bark cloth making and netting together, as being the only forms in which material is made in pieces of substantial size. Bark cloth is used for making perennial bands men's caps, illness recovery capes, bark cloth head strings, mourning strings and dancing aprons and ribbons, netting is used for fishing and hunting nets, sleeping hammocks, the various forms of carrying bags and the mourning vests worn by the widows of chiefs, bark cloth making, bark cloth is made by both men and women out of the bark of three different kinds of tree, but I do not know what these are, they strip the bark from the tree, and from the bark they strip off the outer layer, leaving the inner fibrous layer, which is about one-eighth of an inch in thickness, they have no method of fastening two pieces of bark or cloth together, so every garment has to be a single piece, and the size of the piece to be made depends upon the purpose for which it is wanted, the cloth is made in the usual way by soaking the prepared bark in water for about 24 hours, and then hammering it with a heavy mallet upon the rounded surface of a cut-down tree trunk plate 79, the mallet used plate 51, figure 3, However, differs from the wooden mallet of Mako and the coast. It is a heavy black roller-shaped piece of stone, tapering a little at one or both ends, and being broader at the beating end than at the holding end. It varies in length from 10 to 18 inches, and has a maximum width of about 2 or 2 1 2 inches. The beating surface is not flattened, as is the case with the Mako beaters, 
but it is rather deeply scored with a series of longitudinal and transverse lines, crossing each other at right angles, or nearly so. This scoring generally covers a surface space of about 3 inches by 1 or 2 inches, and is done with blunt pieces of similar stone, or with the tusks of wild pigs. As the hammering proceeds the bark becomes thinner and larger in surface, and when this process is finished, the cloth is hung up to dry. The coloring of the cloth, if and when this is added, is done by men only, and, like body staining, is nearly always in either red, yellow, or black. The red stain is obtained from the two sorts of earth used for red face and body staining, being, as in the other case, mixed with water or animal fat, so as to produce a paste. Another source of red stain used for cloth is the fruit of a wild tree growing in the bush, which fruit they chew and spit out. I do not know what the tree island but I do not think it is the pandanus, whose fruit is, I believe, used for body staining. The yellow stain is obtained from the root of a plant which I understand to be rather like a ginger. They dry the root in the Sunday and afterwards crush it and soak it in water, and the water so colored becomes the pigment to be used. The black stain is obtained in the same way as that used for face staining. These dyes are put onto the cloth with the fingers, which the men dip into the dye, or with feathers. In making a design they do not copy from a pattern placed before them, nor do they first trace the design on the cloth. Netting. In dealing with netting, I should begin with the making of the string, but, as I think the method adopted is not confined to the mountains, it is perhaps sufficient to refer to my previous description of thread making in connection with the manufacture of leg bands, though in most netting the strings are necessarily very much thicker and stronger than are the threads used for leg bands, and they are three-stranded. Hunting and fishing nets are made by men in a simple open form of netting, worked on the common principle of the reef knot, and having diamond-shaped holes, with a knot at each corner of each hole, I shall refer to this form of netting as ordinary network. The nets are made of thick, strong material, except as regards the hand-fishing nets, which are made of the fine material used for making leg bands. These nets are never colored. Hammocks are made by men. They are sometimes done entirely with ordinary network and are then, I think, similar to Mako-made hammocks, but often only two or three lines of netting are done in this way, the rest of the net being made in a closer and finer pattern of interlacing knotless network, which is never adopted on the coast and Mako plains all nets of this description found there having come down from the mountains and which I will call, Mafula Network, I have watched the making of one of these nets, and will endeavor to describe the process. The ultimate result of the Mafula network part of this is shown in plate 81. The maker first formed a base line of three strands of native string stretched out horizontally. This base line is marked to be in figure 8. He then wound a long length of netting string round a rough piece of stick to be used as a sort of netting shell. He next worked the netting string onto the base line by a series of loops or slip knots as shown in figure 8. Strand of each loop bending upwards and becoming strand of the next loop to the right and the series of loops extending for the whole length of the base line, and thus constituting the first loop line of the net. The hitches of the loops, which appear loose and open in the figure for the purpose of showing their construction, were really drawn tight on the base line. Onto these loops he then worked one line of ordinary network, as shown in figure 9, the strings of ECD in this figure being the loops above mentioned, and the knots of this also being, of course, drawn tight, and not made loose and open. As shown in the figure, the base of this line again formed a series made one of these lines of mesh for my instruction, but it is usual in the making of hammocks to have two or three of them, as appears in the figure. 
The next stage commenced the Mafula network. The form of this is shown in figure 10, and here again the actual network was more closely drawn than is shown in the illustration, though it was not drawn tight, as in the case of the ordinary network. The first line of Mafula network was worked onto the loops above it, so as to form a continuous line, in which many loops of Mafula work were attached to each loop of the line of ordinary work above, the former being considerably smaller than the latter. The rest of the network is similarly made in the Mafula method, each loop of each line being connected with a loop of the line above, until the worker almost reaches the other end of the hammock, which latter is finished off with ordinary network and a final base line so as to correspond with the commencing end. Often there are only four or five loops of Mafula network attached to each loop of ordinary network above them, and I have seen hammocks in which the mesh of the ordinary network part is much smaller, so that each loop of the bottom line of this mesh has attached to it only one loop of the top line of Mafulu mesh, and this last variation is common as regards carrying bags. The hammocks are never colored, but they are sometimes decorated with a few pandanus or mailage seeds hung from their borders. The different forms of carrying bags have already been referred to. I will now deal with their manufacture and coloring. They are made exclusively by women, and the fibers used in their manufacture are not the same as those employed for making nets and hammocks. I will deal separately with the five forms already described by me. Nose. One and two are made of either ordinary or mafula network, and are never colored. When these, or any other bags, are made of mafula network, their elasticity is very great. Number 3 is always made of Mafula network, and colored. Number 4 is made of Mafula network, and is sometimes colored, and sometimes not. Number 5 is made of Mafula network, and is sometimes colored. The string used in making this bag is different from that used for the others, and is obtained from the bark of a small shrub. The question of manufacture introduces another form of bag plate 53, figure 3, which I may call number 6. It is used by men for the purposes of number 4 and no five is also sometimes made in the same way. The method of manufacture of number six is, I was told, an uncommon one, and, though I was able to procure one of these bags, I had not an opportunity of observing the process by which it was made. The appearance of the bag, however, suggests a process not unlike that of knitting. Its outer surface displays a series of thick, strong treeord plated, vertical ridges, all closed together and looking very like the outside ridges of a knitted woolen stocking, but on the inner surface these ridges are not to be seen, and the general appearance of this inside is one of horizontal lines. The material of this bag is much closer, thicker and heavier than is that of any of the others. The coloring of nose, 3, 4 and 5 is not put into the netting after its manufacture, as is done with bark cloth. The string itself is deed beforehand, and the lines of color are worked into the bag in the process of netting. The coloring is confined to the front of the bag only, being the part which is visible when the bag is worn hanging over the back or shoulder. Speaking generally, the coloring is black, but there is often a little red introduced along with the black. The pattern is in the general form of parallel horizontal lines or stripes, which, however, are in places made to a recess or turn downwards or upwards at right angles, and subsequently turn upwards or downwards again, and then continue horizontally as before thus giving variety to the mere design of straight horizontal lines, and these rectangular breaks are often introduced at more or less symmetrical intervals. There are other details in these patterns, which can be observed in the plate. I have one of these bags the lines in which are blue, red and yellow, but I think this coloring is not usual. 
The pigments are obtained from the sources described above with reference to bark cloth. The coloring of my specimen of number 6 bag is also worked into the bag in the process of knitting, or whatever that process should be called, but this coloring merely consists of four faint horizontal lines of pale reddish brown, and I was told that these bags are generally uncolored, or only slightly colored in thin lines. The mourning vests worn by chief's widows are, I believe, made of mafula network, but unfortunately I did not see one of these, and so cannot describe them. Art, design, etc. Art and design among the mafula people are only of a simple and primitive type. There is no carving or other decoration on their houses, or even on their imone, nor is there any on their stone or wooden implements. Art and design, other than the arrangement of feather ornaments, island in fact, apparently confined to the very simple designs scratched upon some of their broad abdominal belts, smoking pipes and line gourds and perhaps occasionally on one or two other things, and to the plated designs displayed in the manufacture of other abdominal belts and of arm and leg ornaments and plated forehead ornaments and feather frames, and to the very simple linear patterns in which some of their network is made, and the ground staining and pattern coloring of their perennial bands, dancing aprons and ribbons, as regards the latter. The designs are of a very simple nature, never apparently representing anything either realistically or conventionally, and being confined to geometric designs of straight lines and bands, rectangular and zigzag patterns with colored triangles within the zigzag patterns, and spots. The patterns of the perennial bands and dancing ribbons are very simple indeed, but those of the dancing aprons are more elaborate, covering a considerable surface of cloth and often displaying a fair variety of design on the same apron. The Mafulu had no visible method of recording events or numbers, or sending messages, either by marks or notches on sticks, or tying of knots in string, or any other method, and they are quite unable to grasp the meaning of a map. The limited nature of the ideas of artistic design possessed by the Mafulu people is, I think, a matter for surprise. They are believed to have Papuan or Papuan-Melanesian blood in their veins, but, even if they also had another distinct and more primitive ancestry of their own, not associated with the Papuan-Melanesian types, or even with the pure Papuan types, found on the coast and in the plains, one would imagine that contact with these types would have caused the Mafula people to learn something of the more advanced art which these other peoples display and that we should not have to record a sudden drop from artistic designs embodying curves and natural imitative art to a system, confined to straight lines, zigzags, and spots. This contact with the coast and plain people, or at all events with the latter, has certainly existed for some time back, for, though the mutual fear and antagonism between coast and mountain natives, which is usually found among savage peoples, has doubtless existed in this case, and is even now not altogether eradicated, direct or indirect trading relationship, including in particular the interchange of the stone implements and feathers of the mountains for the shell decorations of the coast is not a mere recent development of the last few years only. It seems to me that the existence of this decorative hiatus points to a rather small inherent sense of design in the Mafulu mind. It may be, however, that the absence of imitative art, to which I have already referred in connection with totemism and clan badges, is partly due to the absence of totemism and of the imitative stimulus, which, as Dr. Hedden has more than once pointed out, arises from it. Chapter XIV Music and Singing Dancing and toys and games music and singing. The Mafula people are naturally musical and have good musical ears much more so than is the case in Mako and on the coast. 
thus conforming to what I believe to be a general rule that music is usually more indigenous in hill country than it is in the plains. Their instruments are the drum, the Jews harp and a small flute, but the flute is not a true Mafulu instrument, and has probably been acquired from Mako. The drum plate 75, figure 3 is like the Mako drum, but smaller, and its open end is cut in deep indentations. The wooden body of the drum is made from various trees. A pine tree is the favorite one, but others are used, including a tree the native name of which is Arif, which word is also the native word for a drum. The membrane is made of the skin of a reptile, probably the iguana. The maker of a drum must climb up the tree from the wood of which he is about to make it, and there, until the drum is finished, he must remain sitting among the branches, or, if these are inconvenient for the purpose, he may erect a scaffold around the trunk of the tree, with a platform on the top of it, and work upon that, whilst working, he must always keep the upper or tympanic end of his drum facing the wind, the idea of this being that the wind gets into the drum, and makes it musical, his food is brought to him, whilst in his tree, by some woman, probably his mother if he is a bachelor, or his wife if he is married, and he lets down a string by which he hauls it up, but he is under no special restriction as to the food he may eat, there is no superstition, such as is found among the rural and Mako people, compelling him, in the event of his seeing a woman during the making of the drum, to throw it away and begin a new one. The Jews harp played 20, figure 2, though seen in Mako, is, I was told, as regards its manufacture, an instrument of the mountains, it is made out of bamboo or palm, or some other tree having a hollow or soft interior, from which is cut a piece about 8 or 10 inches long, a portion of this piece is cut away longitudinally leaving for the making of the instrument only two-thirds or half, or even one-third, of the convex outside stem circumference on one side and the flat surface of the cutaway part on the other, and the latter is then hollowed out, leaving, however, a solid head an inch or too long at one end. The hollow piece thus produced is cut into three longitudinal sections or strips, of which th.